We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 470 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Friday, December 23rd, 2022. Two days before Christmas. One day before the Commander's Game at the San Francisco 49ers on Christmas Eve. A game that will include the 2022 season debut of the Predator Edge defender Chase Young. The wait at last is ending. Hello and welcome to this Commander's pregame show day before Christmas Eve, Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Santa Claus is coming to town and Santa Chase will be playing in Santa Clara, California. How about that? Uh, Commander's head coach Ron Rivera, he on Thursday afternoon, somewhat surprisingly, let it be known that Chase Young will be active for Saturday. Uh, Much more on that and on who is in and who is out and who is up in the air for the Commanders for this game. As ahead on the show is in-depth preview of the 7-6-1 Commanders at the 10-4 and and NFC West champion 49ers Saturday afternoon at 4.05. The Commanders hold the number seven seed in the NFC and thus the conference's third and final wildcard spot. The bulk of NFL Week 16 is taking place on Saturday as opposed to Sunday. Among the 1 p.m. Eastern games on Saturday are a number of games of interest for our commanders. Uh, 8-5-1 New York Giants at the Minnesota Vikings. 7-7 Seattle Seahawks at the Kansas City Chiefs. 7-7 Detroit Lions at the Carolina Panthers. So let's go Vikings. Let's go Chiefs. Let's go Panthers. Uh, Also coming up on the show, a guest who will give us high-level intel on the 49ers, Kyle Madsen. He is the host of the Candlestick Chronicles podcast, a 49ers podcast, also is the host of the 49ers postgame show on 95.7 The Game in San Francisco, and he is the managing editor of USA Today's Niners Wire. I have my rhyming keys for a commander's win, and I have a prediction for the game as well. But before all of that, next segment, I will address a variety of reports that came out on Thursday having to do with Commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder, known to some as the Danny, known to some 
as Danny Boy, uh, including multiple reports on the market for the Commanders heating up. Yes, the sale of the team is moving along. And I do believe that what came out on Thursday is further reason to believe that Dan is selling the entirety of his ownership of the team, whether he wants to or not. Uh, I shall explain. Uh, I'll talk Capitals. They on Thursday night won for an eighth time in nine games, a 3-2 overtime win at the Ottawa Senators. Uh, Winger Alex Ovechkin did not score a goal, so he does remain within one goal of tying Gordie Howe for the second most regular season goals in NHL history at 801. But Ovi did have two assists, and he had six shots on goal to become the NHL's all-time leader in regular season Shots on goal. Uh, I have a Wizards segment for you. Uh, They on Thursday night lost again, uh, lost for a 14th time in 16 games, a 120-112 loss at the Utah Jazz. And they'll hit on Maryland basketball, uh, which on Thursday night got a much-needed, easy, breezy win, a 75-45 smashing of St. Peter's at Xfinity Center in College Park, Maryland. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Stanley Evans on the great video that the Commanders put out on Wednesday night of Ron Rivera telling those Commanders players who had made the Pro Bowl uh, that they had made the Pro Bowl, uh, including safety Jeremy Reeves as the NFC's primary special teams player. Right, Stanley, watching the video of Rivera telling his players that they had been selected as Pro Bowlers almost brought me to tears, LOL. We can criticize Rivera all we want as fans and blame him for a lot of things, but the players love that guy. You can tell, and I believe, that he has already changed the culture. The wins, I believe, will come soon enough. Rivera has us headed in the right direction, and I'm proud that he's our head coach. I hope that we can celebrate a Super Bowl trophy with him in the future at the parade. Fingers crossed. I think for once, Dan Snyder maybe got something right. It was getting Rivera in this building when a lot of other coaches were probably scared off. Uh, Thank you for the email, Stanley. You know, culture is a tricky thing, and the word culture has become a popular word to use uh, with the commander's team in recent years. Uh, There is a lot that falls under the umbrella of culture, but what I think is safe to say is that Ron Rivera has very much improved Washington's football operations culture. Uh, The ownership culture, different conversation. The business operations culture, different conversation. But Washington's football operations culture has been improved. Uh, Doesn't mean that it can still be better in terms of tactics and strategies and player personnel, but the football operations culture is better. There are a number of items of evidence that speak to that. Email from Jimmy in Connecticut on Ron Rivera potentially benching quarterback Taylor Heineke in favor of Carson Wentz, writes Jimmy. I've been listening since day one and love the show. Keep up the good work. Uh, Thank you, Jimmy. Continues Jimmy. Going back to Wentz to me is not only the better option, but the only option. As it sits, we down the stretch likely need to go 2-1, and one, if not 3-0, and oh, to make the playoffs, and two of the teams that we're playing are better than we are. We are going to need the guy with the higher ceiling to beat better teams. The logic of, I don't know if Wentz will be much better, fails when our offense led by Taylor is netting us 5 points, 12-4, 7 against 
against one of the worst defenses in the NFL. It can't be much worse than that. Also, don't we want to see what we have in Wentz before the offseason? Most people realize that Taylor isn't our long-term answer, but I don't understand how people can make that judgment on Wentz already, too. The sample size is only six games, uh, one in which he was dealing with three different injuries, and the game occurred at a time in which the team around him was not playing up to the standard that the team is playing at now. Before we kick him to the curb without giving him a real shot, you would better be darn sure that there is someone out there who is better, because we have played this game for years, and the game has not worked out. Uh, Thank you for the email, Jimmy. Uh, I agree that Carson Wentz offers more upside than Taylor Heineke does. Now, whether Carson will reach that upside uh, is a different conversation. But yeah, Carson at his best these last two seasons has been better than Taylor at his best. Uh, Forget about 2017 MVP level Carson Wentz. 2017 is ancient history at this point. Uh, Quantifiably, Carson at his best these last two seasons has been better than Taylor at his best. And yeah, I also agree that the sample size for Carson as a commander's quarterback still is small. Six regular season games are not enough off which to judge a quarterback in a new offense. Uh, Although that doesn't mean if he doesn't play again this season that you bring him back for next season just because the sample size is small. But yeah, as I have said, Carson did play well during some of his six games this regular season. I don't think that it's unreasonable to think that he would play better, uh, if not well, Uh, if he was reinstalled as the commander starting quarterback this season. Well, we always hope that you are well, uh, especially during this holiday season. But if you have been negatively impacted by the negligence of someone else, uh, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case, you should contact Paulson and Nace. Founded in 1979. Holson and Nace is dedicated to promoting the rights of seriously injured persons and their families. No law firm does a better job of fighting for victims than Paulson and Nace does. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Chris Nace and Matt Nace, they are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. You see, Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. This is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. And that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace at 202 902- 902-7611. That's 
702-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit PaulsonandNace.com. That's PaulsonandNace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. There were multiple reports regarding Commander's co-owner and co-CEO, for now, Dan Snyder, that came out on Thursday that I want to hit on before we conduct our proper Commander's football talk on this installment of the podcast. Uh, Thursday morning, we had a report from ESPN reporter Tisha Thompson, headline, Analysis of Commander's Charity Raises Questions from Watchdog Groups, uh, reads the report in part, quote, The Washington Commander's Charitable Foundation, which receives upward of 75% of its donations from fans and the public, is operating in a manner that calls into question whether it is upholding a charitable mission responsibly, according to two independent watchdog groups and an ESPN analysis of financial documents. The nonprofit watchdog groups, Charity Watch and the National Committee for Responsive Philanthropy, examined the charity's tax filings and said there are enough apparent red flags to warrant attention from attorneys general in the two states where it operates, Maryland and Virginia. Attorneys general regulate nonprofits on the state level and have authority to levy civil penalties. The commander's charity, whose stated mission is to help needy children in the D.C. area, raised $2.1 million in contributions and grants in fiscal 2020, giving away more than $697,000. In fiscal year 2021, during the height of the pandemic, it raised $927,992 and gave away more than $471. ESPN began examining the foundation's finances after it cut a bad $14,822 check to a recent winner of its 50-50 raffle. The commander cited a bank error and said the team wired the ticket holder his winnings. The foundation had a little less than $1.7 million cash on hand as of March 31, 2021, according to its most recent filings, with an average of $2.1 million in the bank in five previous years. A review of the tax filings by ESPN and the two independent groups found the commander's charity lacks sufficient independent oversight. Commander's co-CEO Tanya Snyder was the foundation's sole voting board member beginning in the fiscal year ended March 31st, 2021 through April of this year. She assumed a more active role in the team in July 2021 after her husband, Dan Snyder, was suspended following an NFL investigation into the team's toxic work culture. The review of the tax filings by ESPN and the two independent groups found the commander's charity failed to disclose that a company it regularly lists on governmental filings as one it owes money to is owned by team owner Dan Snyder, and the review of the tax filings by ESPN and the two independent groups found the commander's charity included in its financial filings unusual transactions, including 
how it accounts for ticket donations and the labeling of a $6,000 payment to a for-profit company that provided marketing services to the foundation as a donation and the review of the tax filings by ESPN and the two independent groups found the commander's charity made grants to organizations that are not in line with its stated mission, end quote. Uh, Okay, so there is a lot there. I know that some of that stuff can be very tedious. Uh, I'm not going to pretend like I know the inner workings of charitable foundations and how they're normally run and how the running of the commander's charitable foundation compares with the operations of other foundations. I can tell you that the commander's charitable foundation does do some very good work because I've seen the work up close. Uh, I mean, I saw the work when the foundation was the Redskins Charitable Foundation, but yeah, it does do good work. The foundation does help needy people, but of course, that doesn't mean that there can't be shady stuff going on with the foundation. So we'll just have to wait and see on this. Uh, What to me were far more notable regarding Dan Snyder on Thursday were two other reports. Uh, First, a report from Mike Ozanian, assistant managing editor of Forbes on Thursday afternoon. Mike reported that, quote, embattled owner Daniel Snyder has received bids for the Washington Commanders well north of $7 billion, according to people familiar with the process, end quote. Uh, Remember, CBS NFL insider Jonathan Jones this past Tuesday reported that, quote, the first round of the bidding process for the sale of all, some, or potentially none of the commanders closes at the end of this week, end quote. So the bids for the commanders are coming in. Now, it sure seems that what Mike Ozanian reported on Thursday afternoon is coming from Dan Snyder or Team Dan Snyder or B of A Securities, uh, Bank of America, the entity handling the exploration of potential transactions with the team. Because you think about this news of Dan having received bids for the commanders well north of $7 billion. Uh, That news does serve to increase the bidding for the team. Uh, That $7 billion figure is significant. Uh, When in early November, the news broke that Dan was considering selling the commanders, The initial thinking was that $7 billion was on the high end of what Dan might get for the commanders. I mean, keep in mind that the Denver Broncos just sold for a record $4.6 billion. The NFL record for the sale of a franchise is $4.6 billion. Dan per Forbes already has received bids for the commanders well north of $7 billion. Let that sink in. Uh, And by the way, keep in mind, we are not just talking about the team. Dan also would be selling FedEx Field, its surrounding land, and the team headquarters in Ashburn, Virginia. Meantime, Commander's Insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington early Thursday evening tweeted the following, quote, sale news, at least five and possibly as many as seven bidders expected for the commanders per multiple sources. Bids due tomorrow, 1223 price tag was believed to be at at least $6 billion. But after sun sale, that's gone up. Market is brisk. Commanders have no comment, end quote. And I would guess that JP sources for his tweet include, uh, if not are comprised entirely of, people from Team Dan Snyder. 
Three takeaways for me from this report from Forbes on Thursday afternoon and the tweet from J.P. Finley early Thursday evening. Uh, Takeaway number one, that the commanders already are generating bids well north of $7 billion and that the market for the commanders is brisk uh, are signs that the commanders are viewed as a sleeping giant. Now, again, the sources for these reports would appear to be from Dan Snyder's side of things in some way. But that doesn't mean that the sources are wrong in what they're leaking. I mean, I trust the reporting of Forbes. I trust the reporting of J.P. Finley. The Redskins slash Washington football team slash commanders are a sleeping giant. I very much believe this. The team for years now has underperformed both in terms of on the field and off the field. But the team remains in a top 10 media market in the Washington, D.C. media market, and the team remains in one of the richest areas in the country when you consider all of the disposable income and all of the advertising dollars available in Montgomery County, Maryland, and Fairfax County, Virginia, and Loudoun County, Virginia, and other portions of the D.C. area. This is why when people talk about a new owner of the commanders potentially moving the team to another city, I laugh, man. A new owner would have to be like an imbecile (laughs) to leave this area. The NFL would be an imbecile to allow a new owner to move the team from this area. This area is where you want to be. This area is a big part of why Forbes this past August had the commanders as the sixth most valuable franchise in the NFL at $5.6 billion. The commanders for all of their problems, and the commanders' problems are many, as we all know, still are the sixth most valuable franchise in the NFL for Forbes. Uh, Takeaway number two, that the commanders already are generating bids well north of $7 billion, and that the market for the commanders is brisk indicates that Dan Snyder selling only a portion of the team isn't much of an option. The concern that I think a lot of us have is, well, it's not a certainty that Dan is selling the entirety of his ownership of the team. From the start, I have had a hard time seeing Dan only selling a portion of the team, even if that is what Dan wants to do, in large part because I have a hard time seeing Many massive ego-having billionaires wanting to be Dan Snyder's minority partner, especially off the way that things ended up going with Dan's last minority partners, Dwight Shaw, Robert Rothman, and Fred Smith. I mean, things got incredibly ugly between Dan and those guys. And so if the team already is getting bids well north of $7 billion and the market for the team is brisk, Uh, Those things are signs that the massive ego-having billionaires are willing to pony up for whatever it's going to take to buy the entire team. And so Dan just might be overwhelmed by an offer for the whole team. I mean, if he was thinking that the high-end price was $7 billion, and now he may be able to command, say, $8 billion, maybe more, I mean, how do you say no to that, okay? And it may well be that Dan just doesn't have many offers, a minority portion of the team. It may well be that the people who can afford to get in on the ownership of the commanders want nothing to do with minority ownership and only want the whole team. And that brings us to takeaway number three, 
that the commanders already are generating bids well north of $7 billion and that the market for the commanders is brisk are further reasons to believe that Dan Snyder is on his way out. Okay, if we are just bottom lining all of this, right, what do we care about the most? Is Denny Boy about to be gone? And I will concede, nothing is for sure until he's actually out. And yeah, Dan could end up selling only a minority portion of the team. Like, you can't dismiss any possibility right now, okay? But the majority of what is out there regarding the potential sale of the commanders continues to suggest that what we all have wanted for years and yearned for for years is happening. Dan Snyder is getting out. Well, in the spirit of the holiday season, please consider rating and reviewing the Al Galdi podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. A five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a brief review saying that you like the podcast. The ratings and the reviews help us out a lot. And so thank you for doing them. The Commanders have played 14 of their 17 games in the NFL's 2022 regular season. The team's next game is happening in a short week, but I am happy to say that our commanders actually are quite healthy for this game. Uh, seven, six, and one commanders at the 10 and four and NFC West champion San Francisco 49ers on Saturday afternoon at 4.05. Just three players on the commander's 53-man active roster have injury statuses for this game. In other words, all but three of the players on the commander's 53-man active roster are good to go for Saturday, and it may be that 52 of the 53 players end up being good to go. Uh, Just one offensive player on the commander's 53-man roster has an injury status for the game, uh, although that status is out. Uh, Offensive lineman Sadiq Charles is out due to a concussion. Uh, Because of this, the commanders on Thursday signed guard Wes Martin from the practice squad to the active roster and released linebacker did John Harris. Uh, And then two defensive players on the commander's 53-man roster have injury statuses for the game at the 49ers on Saturday. Corner Benjamin St. Juice is questionable of having been inactive for each of the commander's last three games due to a right ankle injury that he suffered in the win at the Houston Texans in week 11. Uh, St. Juice on Tuesday evening did tell reporters that he will play on Saturday. And safety Cameron Curl is questionable due to an ankle issue. And I tell you, this Cam Curl situation is concerning. He, for Wednesday's practice, was listed as being limited in practice, but he, for Thursday's practice, was listed as not practicing. Uh, Commander's head coach Ron Rivera did a post-practice press conference on Thursday afternoon. This was Ron on what's going on with Cam Curl, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Commander's insider John Keim of ESPN. Um, obviously, just the ankle. I, again, defensive backs have got to use those those those, those you know plant and drives off of those feet, and um, you know we just got to make sure he can do it. And you know he'll continue to get his treatments, and we'll see how he is come uh, Saturday morning. What 
because you guys rely so heavily or use that three safety and sometimes four safety, what would his absence do to that? Well, for the most part, it's going to be by committee. You know, we've got guys that will now get opportunities to step in and, and, and play uh, – you know, play the position. You know, we'll, we'll rely on Percy and we'll rely on Jeremy. You know, a couple of guys that have you know really stepped up when they've gotten opportunities and have performed nicely for us. So we're, we're you know we're feeling pretty comfortable with uh, with whatever we have to do. Cam Curl being out for Saturday would be big. It's no coincidence that the Commanders' defense started to truly be good this season once Cam Curl made his 2022 regular season debut. Uh, he was inactive for the Commanders' first two games of the regular season due to a right thumb injury that he suffered in the preseason loss at the Kansas City Chiefs on August 20th. Cam is having a really nice season. He, for the 2022 regular season, has an overall grade for pro football focus of 82.9. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Meantime, among the many Commanders players who do not have injury statuses for this game at the 49ers is Edge Defender Chase Young. Yes, he is good to go. For Saturday, he is set to finally, mercifully, make his 2022 season debut. This will be Chase Young's first game since suffering a torn right knee and a Washington win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field on November 14th, 2021. He was inactive for each of the commander's last three games off having been activated to the 53-man roster on November 21st as he ended up being on the reserve physically unable to perform list from August 23rd to November 21st. This was Rod Rivera on Thursday afternoon on Chase Young. Um, good. Uh, a lot of positive things. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's now, I mean, he's, he, he felt really good this week. I think again, seeing Dr. Andrews probably was the last final thing that he just, just to get him over the hump. And he's, he practiced with confidence. He showed us he was willing just to stick that leg in the ground and roll off of it, uh, plant it and cut off of it. So he's, um, he had a good week. So we're pretty excited about that. There you go. Rod Rivera on Chase Young, quote, it's now, end quote. Boy, have we been waiting for that for a long time. Boy, have Chase and the commanders been waiting for that for a long time. Uh, on Thursday's show, episode 469 played for you, Chase Young's session with reporters on Wednesday afternoon. And, you know, the session was not exactly an uplifting session, uh, was not exactly a session that was oozing with optimism, but it turns out that Chase is set to make his 2022 season debut via this game at the 49ers on Saturday. Uh, this entire ordeal has been long, uh, has to have been hard for Chase Young. I mean, his right knee clearly got devastated in that win over the Bucks on November 14th, 2021. Here was Ron Rivera on Thursday afternoon on how much of a lift Chase Young playing will be to Chase personally. It'll be it'll be a, a real big lift. And 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 honestly, that's kind of why we decided now is the time to tell you guys, just so it doesn't become that that distraction and that just what if in case we want you guys to be able to tell everybody, hey, he's ready to roll. Let's go. Yeah, you know, Ron Rivera could have kept the Chase Young news quiet until Saturday in order to keep the 49ers off balance, but Ron did not do that. He sacrificed whatever competitive advantage that the commanders would have gained had they kept Chase's status quiet in order to squash any potential distractions in terms of the will he or won't he with Chase Young. Interesting trade-off 
from Ron Rivera right there. As much attention as the entire Chase Young saga has received, the truth is that he's not expected to play much on Saturday. Now, that doesn't mean that Chase can't make a positive impact for the commanders on Saturday, but it's not like he's going to be out there playing as much as the defensive starters. Ron Rivera on Thursday afternoon on whether Chase Young on Saturday will be on a snap count, i.e. a pitch count. Yeah, we're going to have him on a, on a pitch count initially, um, and who knows? I mean, but but again, it's going to be, you know, a few here, a few here, a few here, and, you know, just kind of take him through the actions and, and see how he handles it. Um, but we're, we're going out there with, with an initial pitch count. Yeah, keyword there, initial. Uh, the plan may be for Chase Young to play, say, 12 to 16 defensive snaps, but if he's doing very well and feeling very well, who's to say that his defensive snap total might not end up being, say, 20 or 25? The pitch count is the pitch count until it isn't. Uh, you know, it's funny that Chase's 2022 debut is coming in a game at the 49ers. Do you remember what happened the last time that Chase Young played in a road game against the Niners. Uh, I remember it was my birthday two years ago, uh, December 13th, 2020, a 23-15 Washington win over the San Francisco 49ers at State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. The game was in Arizona due to Santa Clara County, California's uh, strict COVID rules. Uh, Santa Clara County had banned all contact sports and had mandated a 14-day quarantine for anyone traveling from 150 miles away. I dubbed this game the Chase Young game as Chase had one of the greatest single game individual defensive performances in Washington history. His output in the game, a 47-yard fumble return for a touchdown, a force fumble, a sack, two quarterback hits, and two pass defenses. Chase Young in this game was a human wrecking machine. Uh, of course, we can't be expecting that chase in this game at the Niners on Saturday, but that doesn't mean that he can't do some good things and can't be part of another good performance by this commander's defense. I'm excited to see what Chase Young does in this game while understanding that, yeah, uh, Cam Curl not playing, if he doesn't play, may well prove to be a much bigger deal than Chase Young playing. Uh, one other thing from Ron Rivera on Thursday afternoon that I want to play for you. So on Wednesday night, had the announcements of Pro Bowl selections for this NFL season. The Commanders have six players who have received Pro Bowl honors in some form for this season, including three players who have been named Pro Bowl starters. Uh, interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen, Pro Bowl starter. Punter Tressway, Pro Bowl starter. Safety Jeremy Reeves. He was named the primary special teams player so he's a Pro Bowl starter. Uh, you also have receiver Terry McLaurin as a Pro Bowl reserve. You have interior defensive lineman Deron Payne as a Pro Bowl first alternate. And you have edge defender Montez Sweat as a Pro Bowl second alternate. The commanders on Wednesday night put out a great video of Ron Rivera telling players that they had made the Pro Bowl. Uh, Jeremy Reeves, when told, started crying given his NFL journey. He came into the NFL as an undrafted free agent out of South Alabama with the Philadelphia Eagles in April 2018. Uh, Washington signed him to its practice squad in September 2018, and he since then has been cut by Washington, has been practice squatted by Washington, has been promoted to Washington's active roster, and these things have happened over and over and over again. Also, Reeves's mom died last year, so 
That's part of his story. The video that the commanders put out on Wednesday night went viral, actually was featured on the Today Show on NBC on Thursday morning. Here was Ron Rivera on Thursday afternoon on how he told the commanders Pro Bowl players that they were Pro Bowl players for this season. What we tried to do and what we wanted to do was, um, you know, we wanted to, you know, let each guy know. I would have loved to have been able to, to tell the whole team all at once. Uh, and, and that was my first thought. But I was told I couldn't just because there was a TV show at 8 o'clock that had to tell everybody. So that kind of put a little damper on that. So then we set it up so that the last guy coming in would be Jeremy. Um, and it was really kind of cool. So I, I kind of expected the reaction that we got from, uh, from Tress. And you know Terry's reaction was pure Terry and I couldn't tell Jonathan because because what happened was I don't know if you noticed but Jeremy came walking in when Jonathan did so I had to separate the two of them so I didn't want to tell Jonathan because I didn't want Jeremy to overhear um but I figured it would be a very poignant moment for Jeremy just because um you know 2020 and and, and basically the story being is he had a great training camp um you know we let him go but we told him we would bring him back put him on practice squad and I told him, I gave my word that when the opportunity came, I would activate him. And some people thought I was going to activate somebody else, but I stuck to it and gave him his chance. And he's done nothing but, you know, be there for us and, 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 and make plays happen for us. And then, unfortunately, last year during Thanksgiving, he loses his mother. So it was one of those things that I, I just knew that it would mean a lot to him um, because he's done the things that you're supposed to do. He does the things that, that, that guys that are, are, are not drafted should do. And, you know, and that's if, if, you know, and I said this when I first got here, if, if you want to make an impression on me, do it on special teams for you young guys. And he's done that and he's done more than that. So it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a well-done, well-deserved opportunity. Yes, it is. The Jeremy Reeves story, a great story, and it now is getting national attention. Well, also worthy of attention is the opportunity that currently exists in the Washington, D.C. area real estate market. Housing prices are coming down due to an increase in inventory caused by the increases in mortgage rates with others not buying. Now actually is a really good time to buy. When everyone else is zigging, you should be zagging. Contact real estate agent Kellen Hunt. Visit CloseItWithKel.com. That's CloseItWithKel, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt is great. He understands the Washington, D.C. area real estate market, and he is here for you to listen to what you want, no matter your situation in life. Whether you are a first-time buyer looking for guidance, or you have a young family looking for a bigger home, or you're ready to retire and or are looking to downsize, Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people. He will listen to you. He's not just some know-it-all. He works for you. He takes in what you're looking for and then gets to work. Smart, attention to detail, creative. Put Kellen Hunt to work for you. And Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to talk about your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. See what Kellen Hunt can do for you. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. 
Com. If you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit CloseItWithKel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Well, it's not just that the 7-6-1 commanders are facing a really good team in the 10-4 and and NFC West champion San Francisco 49ers on Saturday beginning at 4.05 p.m. Eastern. Uh, know this, the Niners are the hottest team in the NFL. Uh, the longest current winning streak in the NFL is the Niners' seven-game winning streak. Uh, the commanders are 6-2-1 since their 1-4 start. The Niners are 7-0. and since they're a three and four start. For much more on the Niners, I'm pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast, Kyle Madsen. Uh, he is the host of the Candlestick Chronicles podcast, which is a 49ers podcast. Uh, he is the host of the 49ers postgame show on uh, 95.7 The Game in San Francisco, and he is the managing editor of USA Today's Niners Wire. You can follow Kyle on Twitter at Kyle A. Madsen. Hey, Kyle, how are you? I am terrific, especially uh, it's it's hectic out here in the Bay Area right now because the Warriors are a disaster and uh, Carlos Correa is no longer signing with the San Francisco Giants. But uh, the 49ers are the beacon of light here in uh, this area right now. Yeah, you got the Niners for sure. Uh, I want to begin by asking you about another Kyle, uh, a guy who we know well here in the Washington, D.C. area, 49ers head coach and former Redskins offensive coordinator Kyle Shanahan. Boy, the Niners are having some season right down to their third string quarterback in Brock Purdy due to Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo being injured. Uh, The Niners are without arguably their number one offensive weapon at receiver Debo Samuel due to ankle and knee injuries. Uh, The Niners have dealt with a number of other key players getting injured and yet the team is 10 and 4 and already has clinched the NFC West. Uh, This is Kyle's sixth season as Niners head coach, he did win the NFC Championship for the 2019 season. But is this the best coaching job that Kyle has done with the Niners? Yeah, I think so because it's resulted in wins. I've been really impressed with him, especially down the stretch in his first year, 2017. They start 0 and 9, 1 and 10, but then they get Jimmy Garoppolo and they win their last five. And the fact the players were still trying spoke volumes to me. And then the same thing happened in 2018 when Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt in week three. Players continued trying down the stretch, and I thought that was really impressive. And in 2020 as well, when when Garoppolo is in and out of the lineup. But this year, he's taken that kind of culture that he's that he's cultivated and translated it into victories with three different starting quarterbacks over the course of the year, which is is I mean, that's super impressive. Kyle Shanahan was the Skins' offensive coordinator from 2010 through 2013. That obviously was a while ago. But he, during his time with the Skins, uh, could rub people the wrong way. You know, he was young. uh, He was viewed by some as arrogant. I'm just curious, how is Kyle viewed in San Francisco? So it's, it's funny you bring up the word arrogant because that comes up a lot out here. And I think it's the way it's, I, I'll, I'll buy it a little bit. But when you're on the level of, of offensive football that he kind of is, I, I, I get it. And I get there's kind of that like evil scientist aspect of it, right? Where it's like, like he's getting questions where it's like, that's not even in the same ballpark of what the, the question should be. 
And so he can come off as arrogant for sure. And I, I, I think there's something to that, but when you're winning, like it's acceptable. Like we saw that a lot with Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh was a weird dude, is a weird dude. But in 2011, they go to the NFC championship game. Then they go to the Super Bowl, then the NFC title game. Well, the following year, 2014, when they go eight and eight, his, his quirkiness turned into like, like abrasiveness and nothing really changed except for the record. So I think that's happened a lot with Shanahan this year where people would blame the Niners offensive struggles on (laughs) this phrase. I love it's so funny scheme arrogance where people think that he relies too much on his scheme and, and not enough on his, on his players. And I think there's something to that, but it's only a complaint. Like I said, when they're, when they're struggling uh, right now, he's a, he's a you know genius in the coach of the year conversation. Well, what is happening with the Niners at quarterback really is remarkable. Uh, the guy who was supposed to be their starting quarterback, Trey Lance, done for the season due to a broken ankle that he suffered in week two. His replacement, Jimmy Garoppolo, out with a foot injury that he suffered in week 13. And so the Niners have been going with Brock Purdy. Uh, They took him with the final pick in the 2022 NFL draft, and he has been terrific. Uh, He, over the Niners, last three games, six touchdown passes versus one interception, a completion percentage of 69.05. Was Brock Purdy doing really well at all anticipated? So I just recently got on board. Just to give you kind of an idea, like, in preseason, he comes in. So they gave Nate. Let me. I'm going to rewind this all the way back. They gave Nate Sudfeld two million dollars fully guaranteed, and he was going to be the backup behind Trey Lance because Jimmy Garoppolo was supposed to be gone, and Brock Purdy was just going to kind of be the practice squad guy. But then Brock Purdy outplays Nate Sudfeld in the preseason, and I'm watching that going. Well, of course he is. He's always the third quarterback in the game. He's playing against backups. Yeah, he looks okay, but it's preseason. Relax. Well, then they cut Nate Sudfeld, who they guaranteed $2 million to, to keep Brock Purdy because they didn't think they could get him through waivers. And they felt confident making him the QB3. And then the QB2 in case Lance got hurt, which is what happened in week two. So now they're rolling with Brock Purdy as the backup, and he gets some garbage time in week seven against the Chiefs and just looked bad. Like, it just didn't look like, I think he went four for nine, he threw a pick, and I was just like, yeah, of course, he's Mr. Irrelevant. And he looked good in the preseason, but you get into real games and it's different. So when Jimmy gets hurt against against the Dolphins and Purdy comes in, I'm like, this game's over and their season's done. That sucks. This happened again. But then he plays pretty well against Miami. It was like, okay, that was a nice little surprise. But Miami, they were just throwing zero blitzes at him because they didn't game plan for him. They had no idea. So they're just throwing zero blitzes at him, like like 35% of his dropbacks. And he did okay. But now it's like, okay, now Todd Bowles and the Bucks are coming in. And they're going to have a week to game plan and scheme. They're going to throw stuff at him he's not ready for. And he kills them. He was really good. And so I went, okay, looked really good. But let's see what he does on the road on a short week when he's banged up with the division on the line. Then let's see how he does. And he plays really well in Seattle too. And even had some shaky spots in the first half where I thought, okay, here's where the wheels come off. And he bounces back and played really well through the rest of the game. So I'm just on board. I was not expecting this at all. And I'm still part of me is kind of waiting for the wheels to come off where he just falls off that cliff. And it's like, oh, yeah, he was the last pick in the draft. Of course, he's not very good. But I don't have any tangible evidence to say that's going to happen. Like, I'm on board with, sure, they can make a run now. 
he's he's playing that well. You in talking Kyle Shanahan used a great phrase, scheme arrogance. Uh, it has been said that the Kyle Shanahan offense is one in which you don't need a great quarterback in order for the offense to be great. Seeing the success with Jimmy Garoppolo and now Brock Purdy and seeing how Trey Lance still is far from a sure thing, did the Niners make a mistake in making the big trade to move up in the 2021 NFL draft to take Lance? Yeah, um, I, may, maybe. I'm, I'm not punting on Trey Lance just yet. And I, I yes, it, it was a mistake in the from the standpoint of it hasn't worked so far. They give up three first-round picks for a guy who started four games for them and won one of them, you know. So I, I guess technically he won two, but he realistically won one. And from that standpoint, yeah, it's been a mistake. But I admire the fact that they took the swing. And we see you talk about Kyle Shanahan's offense doesn't need a great quarterback. I think we've seen that with Jimmy Garoppolo, who I think is a pretty average quarterback, but he wins a lot. Brock Purdy, last pick in the draft. He's won his two starts and, and looked pretty good. But there's the the reason this works for the Niners is because their defense is awesome. If their defense was 30% worse, they would not be as successful as they've been. And so I think Shanahan's kind of looking at it and going, okay, we can piece it together offensively with this defense. But realistically, if you're going to compete year in and year out, you probably need one of those top five guys, a Mahomes, an Allen, a Herbert, a guy like that. So I think that's the swing they took. And maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But right now, like, yeah, it's it's been a mistake. But they're in a spot where they can realistically withstand losing three first-round picks and still compete until they have their first-round picks again, which is next year. Two years, I guess, 2024. So, um, yes, mistake, but not like catastrophic the way I thought it would be if the Lansing didn't work out. We're talking Commanders 49ers with Kyle Madsen, the host of the Candlestick Chronicles podcast, which is a 49ers podcast. He also is the host of the 49ers postgame show on 95.7 The Game in San Francisco. Running back Christian McCaffrey, uh, the 49ers acquired him via trade with the Carolina Panthers on October 21st. He over eight games with the Niners has been so good, 880 yards from scrimmage, seven combined rushing and receiving touchdowns, and he has a touchdown pass. Uh, what has McCaffrey brought to the Niners offense? Everything. So when, it's another deal, when it happened, I got the I got the idea of okay, you just want good players. You want as many good players as you can get. That's how team building works. But then it's like, all right, you're trading all this draft capital. You're paying a running back when you just drafted Elijah Mitchell in the sixth round. Like they 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 find undrafted guys in late round picks that work all the time. And you talk about quarterbacks in a Shanahan offense. What about running backs? Like they they just they they've made stuff work since Terrell Davis. So. I I'm I was skeptical of it, but now watching Christian McCaffrey, it's like this is more than just oh they traded for a running back. He is just such a weapon for them that opens things up for other players. The George Kittle touchdown, the the second one, well, I mean both of them really against Seattle were direct results of Christian McCaffrey being on the field. And you just don't get that with Jeff Wilson, who's a heck of a player. I think Jeff Wilson's really good. I think Elijah Mitchell's really good, but Christian McCaffrey's just different. 
He gives the quarterbacks a checkdown option. He 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 forces defenses to defend the 49ers differently. And when you have a coach that's so good at designing space and a player that's so good at creating space um, for both himself and other players, it's just it's a really, really good combination. And the numbers bear it out. The, the, the Niners have been a top five offense from an efficiency standpoint over over the last seven games when he's really become integrated. So. Another key part of the Niners' offense is another former Redskin uh, left tackle, Trent Williams. And, you know, it's funny, his final few seasons with the Skins were not great. Uh, He missed a lot of time. His performance when he played was good, but not necessarily great. His departure from the team was really ugly, but, man, he has been outstanding with the Niners. Uh, What has Trent meant to the Niners over his now three seasons with the team? It feels insane that they got and i and i get that it, there was a lot of tumult with with washington which is why it was just kind of he was available for a third and a fifth i think if he's just open market that they're getting way more than that for him and he's just been i mean he's he's had a couple of different injury issues but it's never been super prolonged and he's just He's dynamite. There's just so many little things. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure you know from, from watching him, there's just things he does athletically at his size that guys just don't do. And it allows the 49ers to do things, especially in the run game, with misdirections and him getting to the second level, and especially with the stuff they do with Debo Samuel and the on the jet sweeps and the end arounds and stuff. His athleticism allows them to do those things effectively. And it's just been it, not having to find a left tackle to replace Joe Staley, who was, who was great for a long time for the 49ers. That, that was like having Trent Williams to plug and play instead of having to use draft capital or, or um, going out and trying to find a free agent because left tackles don't typically come available on the free agent market was, uh, was, was a pretty significant steal. Yeah, I remember this. The 49ers literally went right from Joe Staley as their starting left tackle to Trent Williams as their starting left tackle. Uh, The 49ers on April 25th, 2020, both announced Staley's retirement and made the trade for Trent. Uh, The Niners this season, of course, have a devastating defense. Uh, We know about edge defender Nick Bosa. Uh, who's on the short list of the best defensive players in the NFL. But take us through the other key players on the Niners defense. So I'm really glad you asked this that way, because every time we bring up the Niners defense, it's their pass rush, which is Nick Bosa, it's Charles Omenahu, it's 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 Samson Ibukam, it's, it's Eric Armstead. It's a really good group, right? But what makes this defense go is that second level. It's Fred Warner, it's Dre Greenlaw. Those are the two every-down linebackers. And then Aziz Alshire is their their uh, third linebacker. But it's Greenlaw and Warner. What they do in coverage in the middle of the field, they are the two like prototypical modern linebackers. And they take away everything in the middle of the field. And the inability for offenses... I mean, you watch, watch Tua and the Dolphins. Part of the reason Tua struggled against the Niners is because those throws over the middle that he thrives on just weren't available. And Greenlaw and Warner taking those away... Forcing quarterbacks who usually just hit their back step and let it rip over the middle and, and it it works, those throws aren't there. So now they're having to go to reads they don't normally go to. They're having to move around in the pocket. And they're having to do things that they don't typically do. And that's where that pass rush can start to get home. That's where things get easier on the secondary. And Traverius Ward's been awesome. One of their free agent additions this year, he's been dynamite. Um, their safety play's been really good. Um, but it all starts with 
those two linebackers of Fred Warner and, and Dre Greenlaw. They're really good against the run. They cover and they just make things really, really hard on opposing offenses. With the Niners defense, is there any concern? Is there any perceived weakness? Is there a potential fatal flaw anywhere? <laughs> or is the defense just great from top to bottom? So so there, there's three players I want to point out here. One is Diamador Lenore, who is the corner that starts opposite of Traverius Ward. He's a, he's a second-year player, fifth-round pick last year, really struggled last year. But has come in this year, replacing Emmanuel Mosley, who was playing at a Pro Bowl level and got hurt in Week 5. He's been good, like way better than I thought he was going to be. So having that has been nice, but that's one of those things where it's like, man, he it feels like he could have a really bad game here one of these days. The other two players are their two starting safeties, Talano Hufanga and Tayshawn Gibson. Tayshawn Gibson was, uh, he signed with the team right before their final preseason game as like a camp body and then won the free safety job because Jimmy Ward, their starter, was hurt. And he played so well in the regular season that they moved Jimmy Ward to, to nickel. And Ward's been good there. But Gibson, he's not at, he should probably be playing strong safety at this point of his career. Like athletically, he's just not quite there. Um, he is susceptible to getting beat deep. It doesn't happen a lot, but we've seen it a couple of times where his lack of athleticism has been a problem. And then Talano Hufanga is such a feast or famine player where he's their starting strong safeties around the ball all the time. And he's going to make a couple of big plays. But at the same time, he goes hunting for those big plays and becomes susceptible to getting beat. Whether it's beat deep or beat over the middle because he bought a pump fake or overran. Uh, the, the, the Bears got back into the game in week one because Justin Fields just rolled out to the left and Hufanga just books it. He had the deep half on the other side of the field and just takes off toward Fields who stops and then hit Dante Pettis wide open because there was no safety there because Hufanga just left. And that happens a couple times a game where where the opposing team either gets a big play or just misses one because Hufanga is off doing whatever he's doing. But really good player, just susceptible to getting beat. All right, great insight on the 49ers, courtesy of Kyle Madsen, the host of the Candlestick Chronicles podcast, which is a 49ers podcast. He's the host of the 49ers postgame show on 95.7 The Game in San Francisco, and he's the managing editor of USA Today's Niners Wire. Kyle, thanks a lot, and happy holidays. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, up next. My rhyming keys for a commander's win at the 49ers on Saturday as I will rhyme the path to a commander's victory. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Washington Redskins and San Francisco 49ers were NFL royalty in the 1980s and early and mid-1990s, starting with the 1981 season and through the 1994 season. The Skins and Niners combined to win eight of 14 Super Bowls. That is incredible. Uh, Those days, a long time ago now, but the Niners are good again, and the Commanders are trying to be good again. 7-6-1 Commanders at the 10-4, and and NFC West champion 49ers Saturday afternoon at 4.05. A win for the Commanders would, at the very least, keep them in possession of the NFC's third and final wildcard spot. A win for the Commanders also would give Washington at least eight wins in a regular season for the first time since the 2016 regular season. How do the Commanders win this game, especially given the circumstances? A, the game comes in a short week for the Commanders, as their last game was this past Sunday night. B, the game is a road game across the country. Uh, C, the game is at a really good team in the 49ers, and the team has won seven consecutive games, longest active winning streak in the NFL. And D, The Niners are coming off extra rest. Uh, Their last game was a 21-13 win at the Seattle Seahawks on Thursday Night Football on December 15th. Well, my friends, it is that time, the time to rhyme. It is time for rhyming keys, my keys to a commander's victory in rhyming fashion. Uh, Understand these rhymes, they are not meant to be good. They aren't good. Uh, They are only meant to make a few points. And in fact, I have a saying for this segment. The saying is, the worse the rhyme, the better the time. And so here we go. Hardcore analysis combined with scheduled fun. Rhyming keys for a commander's win at the 49ers. How do the commanders win this game? We now rhyme the ways. Rhyming key number one. This is for the commander's defense. Make Purdy get dirty. This is a pretty obvious key. This is a pretty obvious key, (laughs) but it is a necessary key. One of the biggest stories in the NFL over the last few weeks, of course, has been the success of 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy. The Niners took him with the final pick in the 2022 NFL draft. He has gone from being the team's QB3 to QB1 due to Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo being injured, and Purdy is doing quite well. His total QBR per ESPN in this 2022 regular season is a sparkling 67.9. QBR is on a scale 
of 0 to 100. Whether Brock Purdy is legit or just a flash in the pan, hard to say, but we do know this. He is a rookie quarterback. He lacks NFL experience. The way to rattle rookie quarterbacks, and most quarterbacks, period, is to pressure them and hit them and sack them. The Commanders in their last game, the 2012 loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Sunday Night Football, had zero sacks and just four quarterback hits. It is true that the Niners starting left tackle, former Redskin Trent Williams, is having a third consecutive excellent season for the Niners, but it's also true that the Niners for the 2022 regular season through Week 15 were just 22nd out of 32 NFL teams in ESPN's team pass block win rate. The commander's top three defensive linemen, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, and Montez Sweat, all received Pro Bowl honors in various forms on Wednesday night. Another commander's defensive lineman, Chase Young, is set to make his 2022 season debut. A commander's win almost certainly would need to feature the defense leading the way, and a big part of that would be pounding Purdy. And so rhyming key number one, this for the commander's defense, make Purdy get dirty. Rhyming key for commander's 49ers number two, this is for the entire commander's offense. Someone must be the man in order to win at San Fran. Look, (laughs) The outlook for the commander's offense against the 49ers defense is very bleak, okay? Let's tell it like it is. The commander's offense is bad. The Niners offense is great. If you go by the Football Outsiders DVOA rankings for this 2022 regular season through week 15, the commanders were number 26 out of 32 NFL teams in total offense, while the Niners were number one in the NFL in total defense. But in order for the commanders to win this game, they're going to have to have some success offensively. You can't plan on winning 3-0, although I would take that in a heartbeat. And so what's going to have to happen in order for the commanders to win this game is someone or multiple someones stepping up, to coin a phrase. The commander's most improbable win this season, of course, was the 32-21 win at the then 8-0 Philadelphia Eagles on Monday Night Football in Week 10. The commanders in that game had so many offensive heroes. Quarterback Taylor Heineke, receiver Terry McLaurin, running backs Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson, uh, offensive coordinator Scott Turner. You can throw kicker Joey Sly into the mix. All of those guys were heroes for the commanders in the win at the Eagles. Who will be a hero for the Commanders at the 49ers on Saturday? We all know that Taylor Heineke's status as the Commanders starting quarterback is almost certainly on the line in this game. Will Taylor, will Tay-Tay rise to the occasion and be a hero? Will quarterback Carson Wentz come off the bench and be a hero? Will Terry McLaurin again be a hero? Will Brian Robinson Jr. continue his three-game surge and be a hero and maybe get more than four second-half carries? You know who I'd really like to be heroes on Saturday? Commander's offensive lineman. 49ers edge defender Nick Bosa is a freak. The commander's offensive line this season has been really bad in pass protection. The commanders for the 2022 regular season through week 15 were just a 26th 
out of 32 NFL teams in ESPN's team pass block win rate. Wouldn't it be nice if on Saturday night, right as Santa Claus is coming to town, that we said, boy, that commander's offensive line really rose to the occasion and did an impressive job against Nick Bosa and that Niners defensive front. On paper, the commander's offense versus the Niners defense is a mismatch, but games aren't played on paper, at least not yet. The commanders need a hero. Who will be a hero? As the great NFL philosopher Bonnie Tyler said many years ago, I need a hero. Yes, thank you, Bonnie Tyler. I need a hero. We all need a hero. And so rhyming key number two, this for the commander's offense, someone must be the man in order to win at San Fran. And rhyming key for commander's 49ers number three, this is for commander's special teams. It has been a good week with the Pro Bowl selections of Jeremy Reeves and Tressway. And so at the Niners, how about you make a big play? The commanders this season have elite special teams. The commanders for the 2022 regular season through week 15 were number four in the NFL in special teams DVOA. Uh, The team having not one but two Pro Bowl starters on special teams in punter Tressway and safety Jeremy Reeves, uh, very telling and very deserved. And so in order to pull off what would be an upset win at the mighty 49ers, uh, something like a big play from special teams would be quite welcome. Maybe a blocked field goal, maybe a blocked punt, uh, maybe a forced fumble and fumble recovery on a kickoff return or putt return, uh, maybe a big kickoff return by running back Antonio Gibson. Remember, he laid in the fourth quarter of the loss to the Giants this past Sunday night, had that great 43-yard kickoff return. Uh, maybe a big punt return by receiver Dax Milne. Look, I know that Dax hasn't exactly killed it on punt returns this season, but hey, anything is possible. Uh, the point is that upset wins often feature big plays by winning teams. Well, big plays can happen on special teams, and commander special teams this season have been great. And so rhyming key number three, this for commander special teams, it has been a good week with the Pro Bowl selections of Jeremy Reeves and Tress Way. And so at the Niners, how about you make a big play? All right, it is prediction time. Uh, The commanders per fan duel as of very early Friday morning were plus seven. I have to tell you, I do not feel good about this game. The commanders winning the game wouldn't shock me, okay? Uh, And I hope like heck that the commanders win this game, but so much is going to have to go right for the commanders to win this game. From a betting perspective, I would take the Niners and lay the seven. Final score, 49ers 27, commanders 16.
The Capitals, they on Thursday night got another win. Caps winger Alex Ovechkin, he on Thursday night made NHL history, although not in the way that you might think, but the Caps won for an eighth time in nine games, improved to 18-13-4 with a 3-2 overtime win at the Ottawa Senators. Winger Marcus Johansson scored the game-winning even-strand goal 2-0-4 into overtime. A second consecutive overtime win for the Caps. Uh, they on Monday night had a 4-3 overtime win over the Detroit Red Wings at Capital Winter Arena. Uh, Alex Ovechkin on Thursday night did not score a goal, so he does remain within one goal of tying Gordie Howe for the second most regular season goals in NHL history at 801. But Ovechkin on Thursday night did have a very good game, and he did make NHL history. So Ovi had two primary assists and a game-high six shots on goal. In fact, Ovechkin passed defenseman Ray Bork for the most regular season shots on goal in NHL history. Uh, Ovi now has an NHL record 6,211 career regular season shots on goal. That is something when you think about it, man. 6,211 career regular season shots on goal. You know, it's surprising to me anyway that a defenseman and Ray Bork had held the NHL record for most career regular season shots on goal, but such had been the case, but now the record belongs to Ovi. I should note that this record for shots on goal has to do with since shots on goal were tracked. Uh, Shots on goal started being tracked in the 1959-1960 NHL season. Uh, Also, Alex Ovechkin for Thursday night tied for number two on the Caps in five on five shot attempt percentage for the game per natural stat trick at 60. Uh, The Caps with Ovechkin on the ice in five on five situations in the game had 21 shot attempts versus allowing 14 shot attempts. Uh, The Caps starting goaltender on Thursday night was Darcy Kemper. He was back. He was the cap starting goaltender for the first time since suffering an upper body injury in a 5-2 loss at the Calgary Flames on December 3rd. Kemper on Thursday night stopped 23 of the 25 shots on goal that he faced as the Caps did a really good job of limiting the high danger opportunities for the Senators. Kemper per natural stat trick faced just three high danger shots on goal the entire game. He stopped two of them. Uh, the Caps totaled 25 block shots, did a really good job of blocking shots. Defenseman Trevor Van Riemsdyk had six block shots, tied for the most block shots by a Caps player in a game in this regular season. Uh, he did commit a first period hooking penalty, but good to see Kemper back. Uh, the Caps did remain without a bunch of guys due to injury. Uh, forwards TJ Oshie, Nicholas Backstrom, Tom Wilson, Connor Brown, Carl Hagelin, and Beck Malenstein, and defenseman Martin Faravari and Alexander Alexiev. Uh, the Caps on Thursday night, 5 of 6 on the penalty kill. Caps did commit some penalties on Thursday night. 1 uh, of 3 on the power play. Center of Genny Kuznetsov had a first period power play goal and had the secondary assist on the Marcus Johansson game winning goal in overtime. Uh, Kuzi did commit a third period tripping penalty and did go just to 2 and 9 on faceoffs. But the Caps won again. They are in a nice way right now. Uh, next up for the Caps, a game on Friday night. Home to the Winnipeg Jets at 7. So the Capitals on Thursday night had the first game of a back-to-back. So too did the Wizards, but unlike the Caps, the Wizards on Thursday night lost. Uh, they fell to 12-21 and with a 120-112 loss at the Utah Jazz. Uh, the Wizards now are 2 and 
14 since their 10 and 7 start. Yeah, 2 and 14. 14 losses in 16 games. Uh, the Wizards now also are just 1 and 4 on their season long six game road trip with all of the games happening out west. Uh, the Wizards on Thursday night trailed for the entire fourth quarter. They, in the third quarter, led by eight points at 70 62, but that allowed the Jazz to go on a 58 34 run for a 120-104 lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, the Wizards for the game did remain without multiple key players. Chris Stamps Porzingis did not play for a second consecutive game due to a non-COVID illness. Denny Avdia did not play due to lower back soreness. And Delon Wright remains out due to his grade two right hamstring strain that he suffered in a 120-99 win over the Detroit Pistons at Capital One Arena on October 25th. But back for the Wizards on Thursday night, was Rui Hachimura. Uh, he returned from a 16-game absence caused by right ankle soreness. Yeah, Rui had been out for a while. Uh, Rui on Thursday night played for 23 minutes, 35 seconds off the bench. He went three or four from the field, all twos, and had seven points and seven rebounds. Uh, the game basically came down to threes. Uh, the Wizards got hammered on threes. The Wizards on Thursday night, seven of 21 on threes and allowed the Jazz to go 16 of 35 on threes. Uh, the Wizards did outscore the Jazz in the paint 66-46. That was good. But when you get outscored on threes, 48-21, it's hard to win. I mean, the Wizards on Thursday night went 39 to 61 on twos. That's really good. Uh, and yet the Wizards lost rather decisively. And that was because the Wiz got ripped on threes. In today's NBA, if you are not good on threes and you are not good at defending threes, good luck. And the Wizards this season, not good on threes, not good at defending threes. Uh, Bradley Beal on Thursday night, 31 minutes, 5 seconds as a starter. He scored 30 points. Uh, he went 0-3 on threes, but 13-17 on twos and 4-4 on free throws. Also finished with 5 assists versus 2 turnovers and 5 rebounds. Kyle Kuzma on Thursday night, 33 minutes, 49 seconds as a starter. He went 2-5 on threes, 6-13 on twos and 3-4 on free throws. Finished with 21 points, 5 rebounds and 2 assists versus 2 turnovers. He did have a game-worst plus-minus rating of minus 21. Next up for the Wizards, the end, finally, of this road trip. Wizards are at the Sacramento Kings, Friday night at 10. A dominant win for Maryland basketball on Thursday evening. Terrapin snapped a three-game losing streak and proved to 9-3 and overall with a 75-45 blowout of St. Peter's at Xfinity Center in College Park, Maryland. The uh, Terps' recent schedule had been brutal, so they needed an opponent and a game like what they got on Thursday night. Terps held St. Peter's to just a 4-16 on threes and just 13-40 on twos. Terps went 8-21 on threes and 17-26 on twos. Hakeem Hart in just 27 minutes as a starter, had a game-high 20 points and two steals. He went 1-2 on threes, 6-6 on twos, and 5-7 on free throws. Uh, Terps were without Julian Reese due to a shoulder injury that he suffered in the Terps' previous game. The uh, rather rough 87-60 loss to then number 16 UCLA at Xfinity Center on December 14th. Uh, Terps' next game, not until this Thursday night, December 29th, home to UMBC at 7.
And that will do it for you and me for now. Get the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. So the next installment of the podcast will be episode 471, a special Christmas Sunday Commander's post-game show installment of the pod. So Sunday morning, before you open gifts, before you get angry with what Santa Claus did or did not bring you, uh, look for an installment of this podcast on hopefully a Commander's win at the San Francisco 49ers on Christmas Eve. But win, lose, or tie, uh, I'll have a show for you of Commander's Niners on Saturday afternoon at 4.05. Also on Sunday's show, I'll hit on the Capitals and the Wizards as each team is playing on Friday night. Uh, the Caps are home to the Winnipeg Jets Friday night at 7. The Wiz are at the Sacramento Kings Friday night at 10. Have a great rest of your Friday. Have a nice Saturday. And I'll talk to you on Sunday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.